The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. I know it's, as I've mentioned, uh, near the end of the classes for week one and two, I know it's not always easy, despite our good intentions, despite, uh, you know, we might for maybe several times have had a strong interest wanting to develop a meditation practice and then again something gets in the way. So I know it's easy to convince ourselves not to come back. So it's it's actually worthwhile taking a little time. Like one of the ways to dig that groove a little deeper in the heart, in the mind, the value that we have for awareness practice, mindful awareness practice, to just appreciate that you followed through right, with your interest in the practice. In the same way that after we sit, like if you put aside 20 minutes or 30 minutes, 10 minutes, one minute to practice at home, instead of complaining to yourself, oh, I should have sat longer or I should have sat better, to really appreciate what you did do, to see the goodness in it. I know that's not a word we use a lot, goodness, wholesomeness, skillfulness. But if we don't, on purpose, notice what's good, notice what's skillful and wholesome, like in a busy life, getting yourself to a place like Common Ground Meditation Center on a Tuesday evening, for an introduction to mindfulness meditation class. If we don't really tune in to, in this swirling, complicated, messy, imperfect world, growing this internal value that being present is a good thing, being intimate, being awake, aware is a good thing, like, that feels good. And the same thing, like, in the same way, when we notice we're being kind or when we notice somebody else is being kind and just appreciating, oh yeah, that's, that's good, that's trustworthy. Present moment awareness is good. Being distracted, being superficial, being in denial, that's not skillful. That is a cause for more stress in life. Now it's not easy to be present because what happens when we're present? we feel what we feel, right? Because we're not in denial, we're not suppressing, we're not staying busy, so we don't feel. So I'm not saying that it's easy to, you know, be present, to be more awake, to be more sensitive. I'm just saying that when you look at it, when you actually sense what it's setting in motion, you'll see that although it can be very unpleasant at times, to be present, it's skillful, it's wholesome, it's good, it's trustworthy. But it's like an acquired taste. There are a lot of things initially when we experience it, we go like, I'm not so sure about that. But it, it grows on us. I like green tea. <laughs> but over the years, it's like, now I really like green tea. <laughs> you know, It's like an acquired taste. Being mindfully aware being 
grounded, present, open to the experience of the body. Trusting that it's better, it's more skillful, more wholesome to be aware of the sensations in the body than it is to be working hard, hard at not being aware. It's more work to be oblivious, to be superficial, to be distracted, to be in denial than it actually is to be present. It feels initially like it's more work to be present because it's not the habit of the mind. It's not actually more work to be present. But to turn around the momentum, the, the sort of great momentum we have about being distracted, being superficial, being caught up in our thoughts about things, it takes some intention. It takes some willful intention. And that's what I mean by valuing. Initially, you're going to value mindful awareness just because on an intellectual level it makes sense. But then as you actually do your best to practice the continuity of present moment awareness, then that intellectual level, yeah, it makes sense. Like if I'm going to have a human life, it makes sense to be aware. It's like, does it make sense to have a life and to not be aware of it? No. I mean, I, even on an intellectual level, it's like, would that be an appropriate strategy for life? Like, okay, I'm a sensitive, sensitive human being with a body and a mind, and to survive and to have a good life, I'm going to get really good at being superficial and distracted and lost in my thoughts. And I think that's going to lead to happiness. I mean, nobody on that, even on that simple intellectual level would think, Oh yeah, that, that sounds like a good plan. But if we said or if we heard the Buddha say something like, yeah, but being mindfully aware is the way. Right? It's the way, as the Buddha says in his discourse on mindfulness, the, it's called the Satipatthana Sutta, or the discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. He says, this is the way to the ending of lamentation, sorrow, grief, ending of all suffering. I mean, that's pretty... He's saying that cultivating a continuity of this balanced, alert, relaxed presence, present moment awareness, solves the problems, even the problems we don't realize we have. It really addresses what needs to be addressed. But you don't want to believe what I just said. You want to check it out. You want to have enough of a taste and it will feel feeble. Remember, it's not like you know when you sit down for 30 minutes, it's not like a good sit means you have continuity of awareness for 30 minutes. It means you have five seconds and then distraction. Two seconds, mine's looking at the person walking in the room or you know dealing with our knee pain or some memory that comes up or somebody's cell phone that goes off. or But we come back. And remember, every time you start over again in the formal set, and the great swirl of your mind, your thinking mind, your worrying, planning, fantasizing mind, the mind has to find that value to be present. And it has to recognize that that value trumps all the other intentions in the mind in that moment. And then it has to act on that intention. 
So that's how we strengthen this value of mindful awareness. So don't think of distractions as like in the way. That's how we develop that muscle, that value of mindful awareness, is noticing the mind is distracted and choosing to be present. Initially, we choose to be present by just recognizing that the mind was distracted. We don't actually need to go anywhere, just being aware that having been distracted is like this now. You know, my mind discombobulated because of the four minutes of obsessive thinking is like this. This experience of the mind and body is being known. It's like this now. And again, you don't need to use that kind of language, but I do because I'm sharing sort of the practice with you. But you can, at times, it is useful to give yourself some instruction. And then you'll start seeing that you're doing it obsessively and then learn to do the practice without having to give yourself instruction. Like, oh, this is being known, this is being known. Right? And then once you've made peace with what it's like to have been distracted, then come back to your primary anchor, feeling the body sitting, feeling the breath coming in, feeling the breath going out. Some people, they use hearing, not hearing a particular sound, but just opening to the experience of hearing all sounds as one thing. Just like when you hear an orchestra, you don't need to obsessively know the different instruments. You're just sort of relaxing back and hearing the band or hearing the orchestra or hearing whatever the sort of totality of the sound. In the same way, totality of the body experience. And that's our training ground where we develop that mental muscle, present moment awareness that's alert and relaxed, and then learning to do that with some continuity and willingness to begin again, right? And then being forgiving and patient with the distractions. Oh yeah, having been distracted is like this. Because when we notice distractions, we're not distracted. We're aware. Oh, it's like this, having been distracted thinking about that or thinking about this. Oh, and what's the feeling? Remember, when in doubt, acknowledge the feeling that's there. It will have an unpleasant feeling, a pleasant feeling, or an indeterminate. You know, neutral means you're not quite sure if it's pleasant or unpleasant. So just see if you can, when any moment, that will really stabilize the awareness because maybe surprising to you, but you'll see this confirmed in your practice. The mind is really governed, driven a lot by the feeling that's present in the body and mind. It's like it's uh, destabilizing to have a pleasant feeling and not be aware of it because it will trigger a lot of habits or an unpleasant feeling, emotional, bodily feeling, mental feeling will trigger a lot of conditioned habits. But if you're aware, oh, it's unpleasant like this, then you neutralize all that reactivity. Or if you're aware, oh, hey, that memory is really pleasant, or that cool breeze is pleasant, or that sound is pleasant, it's pleasantness being known, then I don't have to grasp it, want it to last. Because I have this other alternative. I can just be aware of the pleasantness or be aware of the unpleasantness. This is especially, you learn this, it's so important with physical pain when you're sitting. 
to be aware of the unpleasantness of the knee pain. So you go from the thought, my knee really hurts, this isn't fair, why is this happening to me, to the throbbing, throbbing, twisting, burning, right, the sensations, to the not liking of it, to the recognition, this is unpleasant. The mind is perceiving this, knowing this as unpleasant. And you're letting that be what's front and center, like that's what the mind is interested in. And naturally the mind is interested in the feeling tone. So now you've gotten that instruction and well, you'll see it corresponds in your lived experience that the mind, the attention, is naturally interested in feeling tone. So when you're like in an obsessive loop, worrying, thinking about some problem, just drop in. What does this feel like? What's the feeling associated with this thinking? And you'll see, you know, the body-mind is crunched, it's tight, and that it's unpleasant. Oh, this is unpleasantness being known. And then, now it's your, in a sense, your meditation object. Well, is it safe to be interested, to be open, to be aware of the unpleasantness that's here now? What happens if I'm more fully relaxed? What happens if I more fully am alert, awake, interested, open to what this is, this unpleasantness? Is it dangerous to be intimate with unpleasantness? And you see that when we can be intimate with unpleasantness, the not liking, the aversive resistance can fall away. And that makes a big difference. Some unpleasantness, there's things we can do, but there's a lot of unpleasantness in life that in the moment, (coughs) there's nothing we can do about it. So to be able to drop the aversion, to drop the fear, to drop the reactivity is such an act of self-compassion and kindness. If there's something to do, we'll do it. But even like in our sitting practice, you know, we could stretch out the leg or lie down or move the body. But as long as it's workable, we practice with the physical discomfort because we want to learn this basic human skill at being with unpleasant experience without hating it, without being averse to it. Being intimate with the unpleasantness without having to run from it or get rid of it. And then when you can't do that, when it's too much, then that's, a good, that's an appropriate time to quietly adjust your body. It's even, depending on where you are in the room, you can even go from a sitting to a standing posture to relieve the physical discomfort or just stretch out one of your limbs, whatever you need to do, so that you can practice with the bodily experience that you have. And so before we sit tonight, I'll say a few words about the sitting posture so that uh, you can just, and it's very easy to get obsessive about this. So the the deal is just to do the best you can and then work with it. And the most important thing is don't worry about whether you're sitting in a chair or on the floor. So first I'll just talk about sitting on the floor. So one, for some people, relatively easy posture is just to have one ankle in front of the other. It doesn't matter which one. This is erroneously called the easy pose because it's not really that easy for most people. Ideally, you want your knees on the ground. You can even use a pillow or a folded blanket, folded towel to put something underneath because otherwise, if your knees are up high, 
you're basically, you've got these two little sitting bones and a little bit of weight on your feet, and that's an unstable triangle. You really want a, a nice stable triangle where a lot of the body's making contact, and that really supports the spine arising out of the base of the pelvis and legs on the floor. Now, the, another relatively easy pose is to have the ankles under the knees. It's a little less stable, and it can, the pressure can sort of cause some discomfort. And again, you might need to prop up a little bit so that you have some stability here. So this would be another thing. Hands on the knees, hands in the lap. right? And generally, you're sitting on the front half or front third of your cushion, so your pelvis, if you're facing the direction I'm facing, is tilted like this. Right? Because that will bring your knees down. Like if I'm sitting on the back half of the cushion, I'll fall off here, but see, uh, then it just brings the knee up, the knees up. So then for those of you who have more flexibility in your hips, it's not the knees that are flexible. It's the hips and a little bit the ankles. So this would be what's called the quarter lotus, where the top of your foot is on your calf. And then the half lotus, the top of the foot is on your thigh. And the full lotus, which now that I'm almost 60, I don't do anymore, you bring this foot and top of the foot is on your other thigh, right? And the nice thing about the half lotus or especially the full lotus, you really feel locked in, right? So it creates a real sense of stability. And then you want to just elevate your pelvis just enough. The more stiff your hips, the higher, the stiffer the cushion you need to elevate the more flexible your hips, so you get that rotation in your pelvis, then you don't need much. You need just enough, right? And then, like I said, the spine isn't straight. It has its natural curves, and it comes right out of the base of the pelvis, one vertebra ideally stacked on the one below it, so you're not using a lot of core strength to keep your spine up because the spine is stacked, head is balanced on the spine, this is true whether you're on a chair or the cushion. Nose in line with the navel, of course. Ears over the shoulders. You have a sense, a little sense of length at the back of the head. You can get that by just tucking a little bit. Not too much. And not this way, right? So tuck a little bit so you feel a sense of length. Hands can, like I said, either in the lap or on your knees. Now, for some people who don't have a lot of flexibility in your hips, but you want to, you find it nice to be on the floor. Maybe you feel a little bit more grounded being on the floor. You can use a bench, and we have a number in the closet. Or you can use some of the cushions, too. And you put them upright like this. Now, this is a pretty stiff one, so I'm going to soften it a little bit before I sit on it. So, again, you can use one of those wooden benches, or you can use a cushion. You can even make it higher by putting a cushion under, on top of this one. Knees can be relatively close or quite far apart. And so here you don't need that flexibility to rotate your hips, but there is pressure on your knees. So for people who have you know, problems with your knees, this may not be comfortable, but some people find the kneeling posture really easy. And you may not need that much height if you have a lot of uh, flexibility in your knees and especially your ankles, you can actually have your pelvis quite close to the floor. So this, this can be a very useful pose. And so experiment with some of the benches. And then for those of you who prefer to use a chair, don't worry about that. A lot of good teachers sit in a chair. 
wise people. So posture doesn't matter. The Buddha taught you should practice standing, walking, lying down, and sitting. So imagine I'm in a chair. Now ideally you'd have a right angle in your knees. So like in my case, I'd need to elevate my chair. So you can do that. If you're a tall person, then you might want to put a cushion on your chair seat so that you have that right angle there. And then generally you don't cross your ankles when you're meditating in a chair. You have your feet, you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit more than hip width apart or about hip width apart. Hands again, either way is fine. And then over time you want to wean your back away from the back of the chair. So initially you may need to use the whole back against the back of the chair, and that's fine. But then as you develop your core strength, because you're sitting every day a little bit, then maybe just support your lumbar, but have the shoulder blades slightly away from the back of the chair. And one way that really helps is you can either get a wedge cushion that tilts your pelvis, if you're sitting my way, forward, or even easier, like if you're using a straight back chair, which is what you should use, like a kitchen chair as opposed to a lazy boy. Because some of the more seemingly comfortable chairs, they tilt your pelvis the opposite way, right? So you want one. And they actually, if you have a lot of money, you can buy a cello chair. So people who play a cello, they are built that way. Or just put a two by four under the two back legs. So you lift the back legs up a couple inches, and that will give you just about the right angle in your chair where you can have a little pillow supporting your lumbar, your lower spine, but the rest of the back. And then you get that stacking that I mentioned for people in the sitting posture. Okay, any questions about posture? Good, so do what you need to do so you can sit comfortably and we'll do our guided meditation now. Feel free to take a few moments and stretch out your legs so that you'll be comfortable sitting for about 30 minutes. You can stand if you want and we'll get started in about a minute or two. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.